0: Welcome to your Destiny podcast. Cool. Well, I think this session is called Why We Prophesy. So I'll talk about that. It might not be called that, but that's what I'm gonna talk about. So. <laughs> um, but I wanted to just um kind of start. I, I was reading my Bible the other day, I was reading the, just the beginning of the Gospels, and I was just reading about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I was just thinking about like how he called his disciples and I don't know, do you ever kind of read these stories in the bible and just think like what the heck you know what i mean i mean that's basically pretty much my response to every single story in the bible if i'm honest like we're just so far removed aren't we you know and we read these stories and we're just like what is going on here like really like i mean what are these people thinking what are they doing and like what kind of world do they live in where that's their response or you know what i mean um, and i was reading about how he called um some of the early disciples and i, I and specifically uh andrew and and peter and james and johnny kind of calls together depending which gospel you're reading and uh and so he goes and he like he wanders down to the shore and he meets these two guys Andrew and Peter who are um, out fishing with uh, presumably their family their father or something along those lines you would you would do that as a family trade and uh he just goes up to Peter and he's like hey gets on his boat and just goes push this out to the shore (laughs) and you're like can you imagine this right can you imagine some random guy some like 30 year old guy, right, just walks up to you. You're out fishing with your, your fire. I presume because he's on the shore, you're getting ready to go out fishing or something like that. Gets on the boat and goes, right, pushes out to shore. You'd be like, dude, get off my boat, right? I mean, like, what? <laughs> like, that's a weird thing, right? And, and but he does. Peter's just like, okay, yeah. So they go out to, the shore, and then he's like, right, and, and throw your nets over here and, and do that. And you're, you're thinking, dude, like, I'm the fisher here. Like, this is my job. Like, what? But, and Peter's response is, yeah, okay because I wouldn't normally do that, but because you've told me to do it, I'll do it. And you're thinking like, what is going on? Right. And at the end, he like, and he, he he comes back on the show and he goes, and, and, and and Peter's so shocked by the response of getting all these fishes. And he says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. I can't be around you. And Jesus response to, to Andrew and Peter is, he says, come follow me. And what do they do? They get up. They leave their entire life their family, their friends, their job, their profession, their, their, um, their wealth, their security. I mean, Peter was married, we know at least, or presumably he was married. Um, like, we've got quite a lot of information here that they're leaving a lot of stuff on the table for a guy who just walked up, got on their boat, went out to the shore, threw a net in the river, or told you to throw a net, caught some fish, and that's it. And you give up your entire life and wander off right? And then the next passage, at least in Matthew, I think it's um, a little bit further on in, in uh, Mark and possibly John. I can't remember which other passage it's in, but um, James and John get called, right? And so he shows up and James are, and John are out with them, um, their father fishing again. You know, you would do your trade with your family and and, and <laughs> Jesus just rocks up and he's like, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And what's their response? Cheerio, dad, we're out of here. And you're like, but, but I just don't understand, right? I mean, could any of you fathom that? I mean, we've already given up a lot just to come to a school, you know, to do all that. But like, can you fathom a complete stranger coming up to you and just going, come follow me? And you just go. And remember, this is not like Jesus, like three days before he gets crucified. This is not the Jesus who's healed millions of people, who's like got a following of people. Like, it's not like he showed up at your boat and had 23,000 people following him going, oh my gosh, he's amazing. This is just Jesus rocking up, about 30 years old, he's not launched his ministry. He's not really, like, doing anything incredible yet. Um, John, who loves to number all his uh, uh, the, the miracles and things that Jesus did, and he's like, that was the first miracle. That was the second miracle. That was the third. He's not even started counting really yet. You know what I mean? Like, this is a weird kind of scenario here. And yet, they just dive in. They're like, we're in. We're following this guy. What's that about? Do you ever think about stuff like this? Oh, that's weird. I don't care how you how you filter things or if you're quite a uh, a kind of i'm um, uh, i don't know like uh, the kind of person that just goes yeah i'm gonna do that yeah awesome like you know you just hang out with your friends let's go bowling let's do it you know like you don't just go let's give up my entire life and just follow this stranger i just met three minutes ago that's a pretty rash decision and i'm a rash guy like i think that's a rash decision and i've made n- nothing but rash decisions my entire life um I can't think of anything I've spent more than twenty minutes thinking about, like choosing to do. I just do it, you know. But that's pretty rash. And and I was just thinking about it, and and it got me thinking about the the Jewish education system. You guys are all wondering what the hell does this have to do with prophecy, right? Yeah. Me too. But I, I hope I'm going to get there. Um, <laughs> but this is what I was reading the other day, so this is what I'm going to talk about. And um, I'll make it work. But it got me thinking. I, I was thinking about the Jewish education system, and and we were so far removed from this world, aren't we? We just have no idea. Like, I mean, it's just nothing like the way we grew up. And so you look at how the Jews grew up and and, uh, most of the young boys and girls around six would start an education process and it was called um, Beit Zepher. And this was about six years old. They would go away um, and they would go to the local synagogue and learn from a a local rabbi um, about the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, okay? Does anyone have a Bible here? Anyone got a Bible? Genesis through Deuteronomy. Can you pinch it and hold it up so we can see it? Remember, this is the world's smallest Bible over here as well. Um, you read it in Chinese? Is it the back? Is it right to left? <laughs> Gen- no, Genesis through, um, just the Torah. just Gen- uh, Moses one through five, sorry. Yeah, the Germans, they call it Moses one through five. Don't <laughs> worry. Weird. Moses didn't write any of it, don't worry. Um don't tell that to Germans though, because then it will ruin their whole naming system. Oh, um, <laughs> so they would be in affair from six to ten. And in that process, roughly, I mean, give or take, in that time, they would memorize those five books of the Bible. How many of you have memorized Genesis 1? Go for it. In any? the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 1. I changed Oh. Uh, and the earth was formless and voids, filled with darkness. I don't know the rest. I choose Chris. <laughs> I don't know this game, but that was fun. <laughs> Whoa! I didn't expect to be put on. The- I was trying to put you guys on the hot spot. <laughs> Can you imagine a- imagine a meeting a ten year old that knew the first five books of the Bible? But this is the world they live in, you know. And, and this is not all the all the kids, but this is. Most of the young kids would start this process, and some would just be like, "I'm not cut for this" or whatever. But it was a process of learning um, this uh, this Torah, and, and Torah means uh, teaching, it means uh, instruction, it means it, it, it means the way. Um, and so there's, there's this teaching, and and the local rabbi would would talk about this teaching. He would, he would teach you, but predominantly your role was to memorize it and then to be pondering it and considering it. And how is it going to um, instruct my life and my living? And the local rabbi would have a very heavy influence on you. And rabbis. Um, believed very different things about the Torah. Um, And this is what a lot of Christians really struggle to understand, is that um, the Jewish culture is not like Christian culture. Jews required that you had to have at least seven different interpretations on any passage. So we like go, oh, that passage is about this. And it's like, no, 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 a Jew will go, no, 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 no. It could be about that. But it could also be about this or this or this or this or this or this. And there's probably more as well. But these are the seven, I think, most likely. And this is what I believe: that like they will pick one and, and live their life by it. But they, they they were not allowed to pick one and live their life by it until they knew at least seven different interpretations. And they never held the Bible to be this black and white document. They always held it to be something that was to be engaged with and, and wrestled with and 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 considered and questioned and challenged. And we see that throughout the Bible. We'll talk about the Bible when I um, do my week next week. Um, that the Bible is, is not a black and white document. And actually the Bible corrects itself all the way through. People are challenging it. And Jeremiah's going, oh, God didn't say that. And it's like, it says in the Bible God said that. And Jeremiah's like, no, he didn't. And you're like, "But <laughs> Like, right? I mean, we look, like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. But Jews approach this whole concept differently. So, so these um, young kids, six through 10, would go through this process of Bates affair um, at 10 years old, the majority of them would then go home and they would go and learn their family's business. They'd become apprentices. They'd become fishermen or bakers or blacksmiths or whatever they needed to do. Um, but there was a few, the very best, like the, the just, they were on it. You know, they were incredible. Um, they would be asked by, by the, the local synagogue, by the rabbis, they'd be asked to stay on. And this would be called uh, beit talmud, uh, talmud. Talmud, Talmud, Talmud. Um, uh, <laughs> talmud. My Hebrew is not good. Talmud. Um, uh, and these guys were um, basically from the age of about 10 through to 12. And they would memorize the entire Talmud. So the rest of the Old Testament, you've got Genesis through Malachi, the whole thing memorized. That's a lot, right? That is like a lot. And they had the whole thing just memorized to some degree, you know, some would be better than others. And again, their job was to wrestle with these scriptures, to engage with them, to learn from the local rabbis. They'd have, again, one primary rabbi that was teaching at synagogue, but there'd be other rabbis about they'd be pulling from. And their job was to learn from that. And then at the end of this process, around 13, 14, 15, um, most of them would then go, okay, now it's time to go to learn my trade, to join my family's business, to, to start life. Um, and so, they would then head home. And we're talking, you know, like at the end of Beit Sefer, maybe like 95%. I mean, like 90% would go. I mean, it's, it's very small amount would stay on. And then at the end of this period, the Beit Tolmu, um, like again, a tiny percentage, a tiny percentage. Most people would be gone. Most people would go back into, into the world, into you know their trade or whatever. But this tiny percentage would seek to enter this new season called uh, Beit Midrash. And that was when they would seek a rabbi and and ask him i want to follow you i want to train under you and so this is where you would have looked through the last 8 years of your teaching you know the beit sefer beit talmud and you would look through you're you're studying and you're learning of genesis through malachi and you, how you engage with it how you resonate with it and you try and find a rabbi that you think wow his teaching is a teaching i really engage with because all these rabbis have different beliefs about these teachings right and each of these um, rabbis had a set of instructions, a set of ways, you know, a set of Torah, um, how they engaged with the Torah. And what's interesting is this set, this, this way was called a yoke. And so you would find the rabbi that you, you engaged with that you thought, "Oh wow, this is a rabbi I, I really want to engage with. Um, I want to dedicate uh, myself to following this person." And, and this is what would happen. You would literally leave everything behind. You would, you would leave everything in your life behind. You would give up. The opportunity to work for your family, to grow in a trade, to um, possibly even start a family, um, although some would. Um, and you would dedicate your entire life. And, and, and what, it, what you were effectively saying is, you know, we, we look at the word disciple in, in English, don't we? And we think, oh, I'm going to make disciples. And that basically just means I'm going to teach people what they need to believe. Right. I'm going to open up the Bible, I'll read a passage and go, this is what it means. And I'm discipling you. But actually, that was not really what discipling looked like in Jewish um, culture. That was part of it. And, and when, we, when when someone sought out a rabbi and says, I want to be discipled by you, it was, I want you to teach me what you know. But it was much more. It was, a, I want to do what you do, and I want to be like you. It was, a, it was a, I am seeing someone that I want to be like. And so these, these guys, um, Beit Midrash, around 14, 15 years old, they would try and seek out a rabbi, and they would go to the rabbi and and what's interesting is like an application process. You'd have to go to them and be like, I really, 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 I love your teaching, your interpretation, I love your yoke, and I really want to follow you. Um, I think I could be like you, could, could I? Like, do you think that? And the rabbi would then grill the person. They would grill them, sometimes for days, apparently. They, they would just ask them question after question after question, and they would be really making sure that this kid knew everything. And they really knew their stuff. They were the best of the best of the best, and they would really engage with them. And and what would happen is at the end of this period, where they would um, really engage with this this uh, this kid, this young boy, um, they would say, "Look, I don't think you can carry my yoke. I don't think you can do it. You just can't be my disciple." And they would send them on their way, and they would go back and and do the. The apprenticeship, they would become whatever their father was, a a fisherman, a blacksmith, you know, whatever. But a select few, so this tiny amount of people that wanted to stay on, of them, a tiny amount of people actually did make it. And the rabbi would look at them and, and they would consider all the conversation they had and they would say, come, follow me. There's a specific phrase they would say to the person that would say, yes, You can be like me. Come walk in my footsteps. This has real significance to me, actually. I think of this and I think that's really, really, really interesting. Because all of a sudden we start to realize the world in which Andrew and Peter and James and John are in. You know, a rabbi would start his, um, his own ministry. So uh, you would follow this rabbi in uh, Midrash from probably 14, 15 up until around the age of um, 29, 30, 31, that kind of age, around 30 would be when you would yourself then separate from your rabbi and you would start your own course of being a rabbi, that you would, you would pick new apprentices and disciples and start training them in your yoke. Um, so Andrew and James are where when Jesus shows up? sorry they They were fishing right yeah so what does that mean if they were fishing does it mean that they were discipled by another rabbi so it means they weren't the best of the best Mm -hmm. it means they didn't make the cup it means they didn't have that choice John the Baptist. Yeah. So, but Andrew and Peter, no? Um, yeah. Um, so these these guys weren't the best of the best. They were fishers. They were fishermen. That's what their job was. Um, they, they weren't being discipled by another disciple. And so they, Andrew and Peter, they, they, they just hadn't made the cut. And all of a sudden, this guy comes, a rabbi. And actually, we start to understand this is why... He asks, hey, can I get on your boat? And you go, yeah, because rabbis were the most respected guys out there. And so he gets on the boat and and, and he does this amazing miracle. And what's the guy's response? I I am not good enough to be around you. You're incredible. Because who is good enough to be around rabbis? The best of the best. And yet what is Jesus' response to him when he says, I can't be around you. Get away from me. I'm a sinner. Come, follow me. What is he saying? He says, I think you can do what I do. I think you can be like me. That's not just a, hey, follow me, we'll pop over to the chip shop. This is a explicitly profound statement of I believe in you. And it changed the course of history, right? That these guys that were not the best of the best, they were not the, the primo uh, disciples, really smart guys. They were not the best educated. I mean, that's what they said about them, wasn't it? You read an ax and they're like, who the heck are these guys? They're fishermen. They don't even have an education, right? I mean, that was their response because you can't be a rabbi. You can't have a following unless you're the best of the best, unless you're highly educated, but these are the guys that changed the world, aren't they, really? And we see this in, in the way that they acted. You know, I, I often think of Peter. Um, you remember when, when Jesus, they've just um, had this amazing encounter. He chucks them on the boat and he says, go over to that side of the lake. And um, they head over throughout the night. And, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a storm, all that different stuff. And Jesus walks out onto the water and they think he's a ghost. And, and what does Peter say? He says, oh, that's you. He said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. Have you ever thought like, what's this guy smoking? Like who, whose response is that? Right. I'd be like, Jesus, if that's you, like we'll chuck you a lifeline and get you on the boat. But you're like, I'm like, my last response is I want to go out on the water. Right. I mean, I might think that's pretty cool, but I'm not going out in a stormy water for a walk. Like, and yet Jesus is like, if that's you have me come out. But again, we start to realize that the way that Jesus is discipling people is not the way we disciple people, which may be something we should look at. Um, It's not about this head knowledge. It's not about just teaching you the right things. It's not about just this is the right interpretation. It's a, you can do what I do. You can be like me. And so when they see him do something incredible, when they see him do something miraculous, their response is, I can do that. Show me how. So they see Jesus walking on water for the first time and they go, and well, Peter goes, I want to do that. That's what Jesus can do. He says I can do what he can do. That's why I'm called. Come follow me. Jesus, if that's you, can I do that too? And he gets out and he goes walking, right? And what's amazing to me as well is, I don't know, for years I looked at this passage and I, um, I would always interpret it, I think, upside down. You know, Jesus, Peter's walking in the water and he starts sinking, doesn't he? And we talk about, oh, he took his eyes off Jesus. And, oh, he didn't have faith in Jesus. And Jesus is going, you have little faith. Why did you not believe, right? And, but actually, I don't think it was anything about him taking his eyes off Jesus. I don't think it was about, explicitly, I don't think it was about him not believing in Jesus. I don't think it was a lack of faith in Jesus, I think it was a lack of faith in himself. Jesus pulls him at the water and goes, why don't you believe? Why do you not have faith? And what we see in Jesus consistently, this message, come follow me, is I believe in you. And this is a message in the New Testament. We'll talk about faith again next week when I I do a much more in-depth series. But, the message of faith throughout the New Testament has very little to do with your faith in God. In fact, there's very little in the New Testament that talks about your faith in God. Um, very little. You're not saved by your faith in Jesus. Uh, you don't do miraculous things because of your faith in Jesus. You don't do much because of your faith in Jesus. <laughs> Pretty much every time faith is brought up, it's about his faith in you. It's his faith in you that saved you. It's his faith in you. That equips you to do miracles. And this is Jesus' ministry. I believe in you. This is why we prophesy. Because he believes in you. This is what we communicate when we prophesy. He believes in you. You know, I'm sure Timo read Corinthians 14. It's not much to read, actually, on prophecy, to be honest with you. There's only a few passages, so I'm pretty confident Timo read some Corinthians 14 for you. Um, this is why Paul is like, look, I don't really overly care if you speak in tongues compared to speaking prophecy. Tongues is great. So is healing. So is this. So is that. But prophecy fills you with faith. It encourages. It exhorts. It edifies. It, it gets you right in your heart with the message, I believe in you. And that's what changes everything. Romans talks about faith um, comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. We like to use that and then like crack our Bibles open and be like, see brother, you must read your Bible as much as possible because that's how you grow your faith. Yes and absolutely no, right? Because that's not what it's talking about at all. It's not talking about the Bible. It's not talking about scriptures or, or anything like that. It's talking about rhema. The word rhema is living, active word of God. It's when God speaks to you. And that can happen through the Bible, but it's not talking about the Bible. Um, And, you know, one of the the most common ways that God will speak to you is through other people. You look at the Bible, it's really interesting to me. God, God quite rarely speaks to people just on a, One-on-one basis. He frequently sends other people. He sends a prophet. He sends an angel. Or he shows up in person to do it maybe occasionally, but it's rare, far and few between. Even doing miracles, he rarely does anything in and of himself. He chooses to use people. He chooses to use angels. He chooses to use other kinds of um, created beings. God loves to use other creation to influence other creation. And I think we forget the importance of our role in speaking, I believe in you to the people around us. I don't know it's interesting to me with prophecy, you look through the Old Testament, prophecy was quite a, a mixed cattle fish, wasn't it? But the Old Testament is a mixed cattle fish. So, I mean, it is, it's quite interesting is it? you've got different people that have very different beliefs in God and different ways of engaging with God um, different approaches to God. But the New Testament does kind of clear up a lot of stuff. And this is the same with, with Jesus, right? So we've got a lot of mixed interpretations of God, lots of mixed interpretations of who God's like, what he does, how he acts um, in the Old Testament. We have a lot of confusion in the Old Testament about who is God. Now, there's a constant stream throughout the Old Testament that is constantly trying to bring it in. God's trying to refine it, trying to clear up things. But there's a lot of confusion. And in that, we see Jesus show up and go, actually, right. That was wrong. That was wrong. That was right. This was right. That was wrong. Nothing like that. More like this. He's, he's, he's refining, isn't he? He brings us this um, perfect refining to this is what God looks like. And he says that, you know, that you've seen me, you've seen the father. No one's seen the father except for me. Um, Hebrews talks about he, he is the image of this invisible God that we've all been grappling for for centuries. Um, and, and in that environment, you can understand that prophecy maybe was a bit hit and miss at times. It was a bit confusing. It definitely needed some uh, correction and some challenging. There's a reason where people got stoned and stuff because it was it was a it was a hodgepodge of stuff, wasn't it? And yet, in the New Testament, we see this this refining, this bringing in, and it's a this is why we do it for edification, for encouragement, for exhorting. If it's not one of those three, it's not prophecy. You can tell the future and not prophesy. It's always that message, I believe in you. If it doesn't provoke that same response as come, follow me in the person, then you've missed the mark. You've you've missed the point. Because that's what God's calling us into, isn't it? He's saying, I think you can do what I do. I think you have what it takes. I think you can be like me. And let's face it, if there's a message that we need to hear every single moment of every single day, it's that message, right? It's that reinforcing enough? you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. I believe you can do what I do. It's interesting. Um, when I was at Bethel, we had all sorts of different uh, training on a... On a prophecy and, and different examples and it was, it was quite fun just seeing different people's responses because we had people from a very broad backgrounds coming to the table and starting to prophesy and some people just couldn't get it out their heads that prophecy wasn't just like let me point out every sin you ever made you know or let me tell you and and you know what there's some really respected people um in the church today that i look at and go oh wow that was the prophecy you just gave interesting god hates america and he's going to Send an earthquake that will sink all of California because they voted for gay marriage. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like, where's the I believe in you? Where's the encouragement, exhortation, or edification in that one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to really hunt for that one. And if I can't find it, I'm going to probably put that prophecy just over there in fact i'm probably gonna put that prophecy over there anyway at the time i lived in california at the time um but that prophecy is given every other week so i wouldn't be too worried about it um it's like people that prophesy earthquakes on california because they i don't know apparently also what's interesting is do you know what's really interesting with people that give these prophetic words is that apparently there's only gay people in earthquake regions right (laughs) because god can't judge gay people anywhere else in the world right if gay people live somewhere where there's no earthquakes or natural disasters disasters we just don't acknowledge that that happens god doesn't notice it either because he can't judge it right i don't know i'm kind of being facetious and joking but i'm also like yeah well done major prophet god will send an earthquake to california gets like 400 earthquakes a day it's not exactly the most amazing <laughs> prophecy like not even exaggerating it's g- genuinely how many earthquakes that california experiences every day um, so you're like not that incredible right um <laughs> Talk about judging prophecies and playing it safe. You know, you're not getting stoned by saying there'll be an earthquake in California today, right? (laughs) But where's the love in that? Right? Where's the mercy? Where's the grace? Where's the edification? Where's the encouragement? Where's the exhortation? It just isn't there. And you know what? They can be right. But it's still not a biblical framework for prophecy. I hate using the word biblical. It's not an accurate Christ-like framework for prophecy. You can find anything in the Bible? I'll give you a biblical framework, framework for having slaves and killing them if you disobey them. If they disobey you, right? I mean, that's a biblical principle. That seems lovely, right? So it's not a Christ like framework for prophecy, and it can be right. You know what? Maybe that actually does happen. But it wasn't what you were called to give either. And you know, one example that happened uh, when I was at school um, is we were out doing treasure hunts and we were out in the streets and we're praying for people and, and giving them words and different stuff like that. And, um, a girl who had come from a very different background, very different background um, to where we were at that time at Bethel. Um, and I think this is actually before we'd even done prophetic week. We weren't even supposed to be prophesying over people. Um, she went into this ice cream parlor and, uh, I think she saw one of the women that was serving, the young girl that was serving there, and uh, she heard from the Lord really clearly. This woman used to be um a prostitute. She's had a history that's really messed up, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's all she heard. She just heard that, you know, like, and she's like, okay. And so she she goes up to the woman and she's like, hey, um, I don't really mean to... Um, Embarrassed or anything but i just really heard the lord say this and she just starts telling her like this history and you're just like oh wow that's interesting right and so the woman was um very very um touched by it I mean, you imagine that's not something that she was like throwing out there so it was a quite a secret thing revealed and it was quite a significant thing that happened to her um on one level it really made her feel like wow god really knows me he knows my history and, and the girl was lovely about it she wasn't like you know god hates you for it and you need to clean up your act or anything like that Um, but she did get fired because her boss overheard and this is the past I mean it's long gone nothing to do with her anymore but boss doesn't really care because you don't want someone that was a prostitute working for you selling ice cream for some reason Um, now did God speak to that girl probably I would say I mean it was an accurate word right did she carry out her role in that, that interaction well? I don't know if she did necessarily, right? And so there's this element as well as, of, as we hear God, we filter it. And we go, God, what is my role in this? Why am I doing this? I think sometimes we, we, we feel this obligation that prophecy needs to shock and awe. It needs to be wow, you know? But actually... She doesn't need to bring up this amazing, oh, look, I know your past, and let me give you the details so that you go, oh, my gosh. Actually, what could she have done in that situation? She could have just spoke life. She could have really had a very pointed um, message for that girl and just gone, hey, can I have a word with you for a second? Honestly, I'll be two minutes. It won't be a a problem. I don't want to disturb you at work or anything, but I just really feel like God has something to say to you. Look, I feel God's saying, you may have made mistakes in the past, but he just sees you so perfect, so holy. He just loves you so much. You're his beloved daughter. He's so proud of who you are. He's so proud of the changes you've made in your life. He's so proud of the direction you're on. You could say, I mean, none of this is going to get her fired. And I tell you what, it'll mean just as much, if not a lot more, potentially. Um, and this is why we have consistently running through everything that we do, this question, why am I doing this? Is it provoking Come, follow me. I believe in you. You can do what I do. You can be like I am. That's the consistent thread that we want to be pulling on in prophecy. I don't want to give you a prophetic words unless it puts something in your heart that's, that, that, that plants a seed that says, I can be like Jesus, I can do what he does. There was another girl at um, Bethel that said something really profound. It just undid me, actually. It really kind of messed me up a little bit um, because I I love prophesying. I just love doing it. I don't know about you guys. I just love it. I love the something about hearing God um, speak and just like being able to share that with someone and change their lives and give them. I love getting prophecies. I really do. I love it. Um, you know, someone telling you something, you go, "Whoa, yes, you know, I can do that. I can be that. I can step into that. That's amazing. Um, But this one girl, uh, they were asking like, what's your favorite thing about just like being a Bethlehem? And she's like, I love hearing people's prophecies. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting response. Why? Why do you like hearing people's prophecies? I'm like, that's the least exciting part. Either you give one or you get one. Why Why do you care about hearing someone else's prophecy? And she goes, because now I know who they really are. I was like, oh, that's profound, right? There's something about that. It's amazing to me, you know. Peter gets on, uh, Jesus gets on that boat, and you've got two guys that have had it hammered into them. At some point, you're not the best of the best. You're not able to do this super spiritual thing. You're just a fisherman, uneducated, in no way able to do what the rabbis do. And Jesus comes on and says, you have what it takes to do my yoke. He sees something in them, and it blows their mind. It changes their world. I wonder what their dad thought, right? Because their dad's there training them. Because he's probably seen his kids, and, and he's seen, well, they didn't get through whichever stage it was, whatever it was, at what point they, they stopped in the process and were like, we're just fishermen. We can't continue on in this learning. And their dad goes, ah, I was really hoping one of them might be a rabbi, right? And he sees a rabbi come on the boat and say, I believe in you. You can do what I do. Come follow me. What do you his dad was talking about the pub that night, right? You know, goes down to his, the pub with his mates and he's like, you'll never guess what happened to my kids. You know, both of them, right? Or whatever, you know, James and John, you know, you got, um, what was their dad's name? Was it Zebedee? And, you know, you can imagine him, both my sons, James, Jesus, not any old rabbi. That's like the rabbi of the day, right? I mean, Jesus is tearing it up, you know? It'd be like, imagine Bill Johnson comes along and goes, I want you to intern for me. You'd be like, whoa. And you're like, your parents would be like, guess who my daughter is interning for, right? <laughs> and you would not guess, right? I mean, this is, this is a big deal. But there's something about I can see something in you that no one else can see right now and that you certainly don't see right now. And it gives people around you. When you hear a prophecy, it gives you an opportunity. Because you can continue to see that person the way you've always seen them. Or you can you can actually lean into their prophecy. You can believe that about that person. And actually, it gives you, when, every time you hear a prophecy, you have an obligation put on you. You have a responsibility put upon you. Because now you know something about that person that you need to hold them accountable to. That you need to pull them into when they start doubting it, right, you can say, look, stop doubting yourself. Why have you lost your faith? And just like Jesus pulls Peter out of the water and says, you have little faith. Why do you doubt yourself? We do exactly the same, right? We have a friend that, you know, someone get prophesied, and you're going to be in business and God's going to, you know, open stuff up and there's a change happening just around the corner. And it's just not happening, and they're getting depressed and discouraged. We can grab them by the hands and pull them up and go, Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. I heard that prophecy too. And if you can't believe it right now, I believe it. We don't just value prophecy for our individual sake. Because the truth is, we're not individuals, and there's no other we love the individual gospel, don't we? It's like, have you been saved? Have you been baptized in the spirit? Have you, you know, like, you know, whatever. But the Bible doesn't really talk about that much at all, really. It's quite interesting. All that kind of stuff is, is a corporate experience most of the time. Um, and we forget how interwoven we are. That actually, as believers, it's the church. It's this, this ecclesia, this group of people. And that we, we are One, you don't get to have an experience apart from me. You're my sister. Your experience is part of my experience. So your lack of faith, I've got faith to to make up for it. And so in prophecy, it's the same thing. Your prophecy is a gift to me because now I can see who you are to a whole new degree. I can pull you up. I can lift you up. I can encourage you. I can prop you up when you need it. I guess that's my encouragement to you guys is, yeah, get excited about giving prophecies. And yeah, get excited about having prophecies and stewarding them and writing them down or storing them on your computer and listening to them over and over again. But, you know, how often do you listen to your friend's prophecies you know think of your best friends or your spouse or whatever your kids or you know if they've had prophecies how often do you listen to them and go i need to be reminded of that because they might not remember right let's be honest right how often do you completely forget how many of you've had a really significant prophecy in your life anyone Yeah? yeah 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 right we've all had these prophecies that we're like whoa in the moment like, that's amazing we write it down in our journal or we get the mp3 recording we put it somewhere on our fo- on our laptop really safe right somewhere really safe we'll remember that right and then how many of you have found it five years later and gone oh yeah right <laughs> that ever happened to anyone <laughs> yeah right and, and and it's funny because uh, truth be told hey joe pull up a seat please just grab a seat between the guys um the truth is oh yeah there's one right the truth is we're probably the worst people in the world to manage our own prophecies right i mean the, the person that gave us a prophecy is probably going to remember it more than us the most <laughs> i don't know what it is what is it about that right you get this prophecy and like you're just like oh and it's gone it's like I want your head straight out. i'm like and it's significant i've had some significant and it's obviously I'm, I'm you know it's not always the case sometimes prophecies you just you manage to, to hold in your heart and you steward and you really grab a hold of them but it does amaze me how many i get and i'm just like i have completely forgot that almost immediately I get home and I'm like, what the heck was that prophecy that Greg gave me? I mean, that was really significant at the time. I was like, oh, it's amazing. Thank you so much. And, and then by the end of the church service, I forgot, right? And I'm getting home and I'm like, uh, I better send him a text and say, can you send me that? <laughs> can you just send me that text by, in text or something? Because I, I don't know what it is. It just like, you know, we just don't. And, and this is, again, like, this is the, the, the benefit of the community is, yeah, it might be in one ear and the other for another, I actually often remember other people's prophecies. I often find myself going, "Hey, Rose, remember that word that someone gave you? What's going on there?" Because I don't see you really engaging with that word. You got that word, and you were excited at the time. I don't see you doing anything about it, right? And and, and you get to pull people and encourage them and in, inspire them and, and give them a kick up the butt or whatever they need, you know. Um, but I think that's a huge element of. of Of the the purpose and the reason of prophecy. You know, like, I mean, when Paul's talking about it in Corinthians uh, 14, you know, and he's saying, look, I'm excited about you all speaking in tongues, but I really, 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 really want you to prophesy. Because tongues is just about you. And that's not what it's all about. It's not about you. It's about us. You don't really get to exist on your own. You're part of a family. You're part of a body. You don't just get to be an I just sitting there on the floor. (laughs) No one cares about the eye sitting on the floor. Actually, probably everyone would be a bit disconcerted (laughs) about an eyeball on the floor. (laughs) But like, but you just don't get to do that. You're part of a body. And he's like, and so this is why this gift is so much more significant. Because yeah, it encourages you on an individual basis, but actually it's about us. It's our journey, right? I mean, you know, if you get, if if there's a significant prophecy over your mom or your kids, or your partner, that has a bearing on you, right? If you're married to someone, and they got prophecy, they're moving to Africa, you better bet that it has some sort of bearing on your life, right? You're like, "Uh, wait a minute, right? (laughs) Hold up there, right? So, when Colin gets a prophecy, that has a significant relevance to all of us, because Colin's one of us. Especially if he moves to Africa, right? Because we'll miss him. <laughs> but I guess that's my challenge to you throughout this week: is is not just to get caught up in the in the, oh, it's fun, it's exciting, I can hear God's voice, I can share, it, I can encourage someone, I can be encouraged. So I've got, uh, you'll get loads of prophetic words this week, right? Because you gonna be practicing like crazy. So for every one you give, you're probably getting one back. You know? I mean, you're gonna get a lot of prophetic words and that's gonna be exciting. And write them down, record them, steward them, listen o- over them. You know? Make sure you do put them somewhere safe and hopefully not forget about them within three minutes. Um, but pay attention because God's not just speaking to you and he's not just speaking through you. He's speaking through every other person in the room, and he's speaking to every other person in the room. And you miss out on one of the most beautiful opportunities that you have to continue that word of faith that's been spoken into someone and to to steward that word of faith. You know, that, that hearing God's voice, it plants faith in you. And it's really, really easy for us to just let it fizzle out, like not grab a hold of it and not run with it. And so be a part of that momentum as a, as a group, as a community, as a family, and steward each other's prophecies and encourage one another in, in, in their faith. And you get to continually give them that same message, that come, follow me. You need to continually go, you can do what he said you can do. You can be what he says you can be. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk